Today we'll speak about the second noble truth, the one that is called the Samutaya Satya, or the truth of <coughs> the origin of, of Dukkha. For the sake of ease in understanding our subject, we'd like to take a bird's eye view of all the Ariya Satcha together. If we look at these logically, we'll see that the first, the first noble truth asks the question, what is it? What is it? Then the second noble truth concerns the question, from what? From what does it come or from what does it arise? The third question then is, for what purpose? What is the purpose of this? And then the fourth, by what means or method is that purpose realized? To, if we look at the noble truths together and see all of these four happening together, then we will have a very clear understanding of what the noble truths are about. The, so asking, what is it? From what? For what? And by what means? By what method? At the Ajanta Caves in India, there are a number of relief sculptures carved into the rock. And one of them portrays four deer sharing the same head. There are four bodies, but one head is shared between all four of the deer. And our understanding is that this surely must be meant to represent the Four Noble Truths. We've, we've got a few copies of this around Suan Mok, especially up at the art workshop in the woods. If one, if one reflects upon this picture, then one will have a clear and easy understanding of the, the structure or the outline of the Ariyasacha. All four of the deers perform a different function or activity, but they all share the same head. This is how it works with the four Ariyasacha. The first one answers the question, what is dukkha? What is dukkha? The second one answers the question, where does it come from? Where does dukkha come from? The third noble truth answers the question, for what purpose? What is the, what is the benefit and purpose of, of dukkha? And the answer is, in order to 
to quench it, in order to extinguish it. And then the fourth question, the fourth noble truth answers the question, how? And the, the answer is, by the noble eightfold path. This is the outline, the framework of, of the four noble truths. The second noble truth in Pali <coughs> is called Samutaya Arya Satcha. Samutaya Arya Satcha. The <coughs> meanings of these things must be attended to carefully. We must understand these words correctly, both in sufficient detail, in a refined enough way. We must be careful about understanding them thoroughly and also in a deep enough way especially with the word samuttaya samuttaya we must be careful to understand what is meant by this because words can be confusing words can take on different meanings and connotations and this can confuse us so it's important that we have a correct understanding of the word samuttaya The word samutaya is very similar or almost identical in meaning to the words hetu, hetu and pachaya, hetu and pachaya. But we should be, we should try to find individual words that can translate all of them. Our understanding is that we can translate these three words in the following way. Samutaya as origin, as origin, and then Hetu <coughs> as cause, especially the primary cause of something, and Pajaya as the, as condition which is often secondary or supportive to the primary cause, the hetu. So we can translate them origin, cause, and condition. This is our understanding. Now all three of these words pretty much have the meaning of, of cause, but causes can take on different forms of, as we've mentioned. There can be the primary causes and the secondary causes. There can be indirect as well as direct causes. And so we prefer to use the word hetu for the primary, the most direct cause. And then the, especially when there is a single a single cause, we use the word hetu. When there are many, many conditions, 
And so none of them is really primary. We use the word pachaya, pachaya, or condition. We'll spend a little bit of time discussing these three terms because if we understand them correctly and clearly, it will be quite beneficial. When, when a potter makes pots, let's just say makes, when a potter makes a pot, we can f see all three of these. When the potter makes the pot, the primary cause, the hetu of the pot is the desire or the need of the potter that, that motivates the whole activity. The pachaya, the support conditions, are things like collecting the clay, bringing the water, having the potter's wheel, and all the other things necessary to make the pot. And then when all these cause, the cause and the conditions are brought together, that is called samutaya, the origination of the pot. All three of these can be found in the simple activity of making a pot. And so if <clears throat> we ought to understand the difference between each of these three terms. In the Pali, this is called Dukkha Samudaya, Dukkha Samudaya. And for this word, which is almost always translated, the cause of suffering. Now we've already discussed how the word suffering isn't such a great translation of dukkha. And here, one of the synonyms for samutaya is used. And so it's called the, the cause of suffering. One of the synonyms of samutaya is used instead of the direct translation of samutaya. And then this this rather easy translation now is quite common and used all over the place. And so we've tried to explain things in a way that will help you to understand these words correctly. The Pali Dukkha Samudaya or even the, the rather vague English translation cause of suffering. In the Pali, we, we, we pretty much only find the words Dukkha Samudaya. We almost never find the words Dukkha Hetu, the cause of Dukkha, or Dukkha Pachaya, the conditions of Dukkha. These appear very rarely. It's almost always Dukkha Samudaya, which has the, the broadest meaning of the, of the three possibilities. So we should understand the correct meaning in this case and at least use it ourselves, even if everybody else has a different understanding. So we'd like to look at the words hetu and pachaya. In the Pali, 
there is some overlap between these words. But for the most part, hetu means, means cause in the sense of direct, the direct cause, and also with the, the implication of being single, the single direct cause. Whereas pachaya has the meaning of there being of being indirect, and there are generally many of them. So hetu refers to a direct and single cause, and pachaya to various indirect causes. But even so, sometimes in the Pali, these words are used to mean the same thing. Hetu and Vachaya can, are sometimes used as synonyms. So, this makes it difficult for some people to sort out the meanings, and it makes our study at times a bit, a bit troublesome. Because sometimes in the Pali, the, the words, these two words are just used to explain each other. This is, this is one of the difficulties we must always deal with when we, when we use the Pali as a basis of our study. So let's look at the word Samudaya again. Samudaya can be broken into two parts, Sang, Sang, and Udaya, Udaya. Sang means complete, to be complete with nothing lacking, full and complete. Udaya means to arise, to, to, to occur, to arise. And so Samudaya is a complete arising, something that arises complete, whole, with, with nothing, nothing lacking. So the word dukkha, samudaya, means the arising of many things together. The word sang can also mean together. The arising together of many, many things until they come together completely and there is dukkha. There is complete dukkha. So that's enough about the literal meaning of the word samutaya. If we spend too much time on this, then it'll turn into a Pali class rather than a Dhamma talk. Next we'd like to look at dukkha samutaya in terms of its, its practical meaning and especially according to the principle we find in the scriptures that everything arises from a hetu or cause and then must, then must proceed or exist under the power or according to the power and influence of that hetu. When we say that all things arise from a cause, we're speaking specifically about all the things which are, are caused, which are conditioned. 
We're not speaking about the thing which arise, which doesn't have any cause, which has no conditions, which is completely independent. We're saying that all conditioned things, all impermanent things, arise from a cause. We can say that all phenomena, all phenomena arise from a cause, but that which is the opposite of phenomena, the noumenon, the noumenon, which is that which has no cause, of course, is, is different. All phenomena are merely the appearance or the manifestation of, of a cause and then must exist, must occur, proceed, according to the, the power of that cause. If we're speaking about Buddhism, then we, we can never avoid the, the fundamental principle that all things arise from a cause and exist according to that, the power of that cause. If someone is if we're talking about that things don't have causes, that are free of causes, then we're talking about some other creed or sect or some philosophical school that existed in India during, before, during, and after the Buddhist time. There have been a number of philosophies that have tried to assert that things don't have causes, but that's outside of Buddhism. In Buddhism, all things except the noumenon, the unconditioned, all things arise from a cause and exist according to that cause. When we say that, when we say in Buddhism that all things come from causes, we're showing, we're pointing to the basic scientific character of Buddhism the understanding that all things come from causes is the basic principle of science. So Buddhism isn't any kind of a philosophy that relies on assumptions, that relies on speculation, on, on basically guesswork. Buddhism deals only with causes and the effects of causes and un tries to un understand this. And so this is scientific. We should never confuse Buddhism with philosophy, with rational and all other kinds of speculation based on various assumptions. So then when we ask <clears throat> what is the cause of something, of some phenomena. If we answered the cause is God, can you accept that? Can you accept that the cause of each phenomena is God? Can you accept that as scientific? Is that a scientific answer? In Buddhism, we would respond in line with the principle of 
Vaticha Samupada, dependent origination, that the cause of each phenomena is that cause which is directly associated, which is right there, right stuck together directly and straightforwardly with the phenomena. We don't take the cause to be God or gods or angels or any powers which we, we can't see for ourselves. But we take the direct immediate cause which <clears throat> that we can see. This cause and this, this phenomena are, are associated, are closely associated, are stuck right together. In the, the old scriptures, we can find descriptions of the kind of situations which were happening in Buddha at the Buddha's, at his time. And so there are descriptions of some of the beliefs people held. When it came to the understanding of the cause of dukkha, and we're talking about those who were not following the were not following Buddhism. There were some who believed that dukkha and sukha, or we can say happiness and pain, were the result of actions that the individual committed in a past life. That all the dukkha and sukha of this life are the results of things I did in a past life or in past lives. This is one, one belief. Another group believed that all pleasure and pain in this life arises because God has ordained so. It arises out of the, that's the way God wants it. By the, in Pali, the word used was isara, isara, or the Sanskrit equivalent is Isvara, Isvara, which is a proper noun meaning God. So other groups held that all pleasure and pain, all happiness and, and dukkha, gladness and sadness, occur because of God. That's the way God makes things. And then there was a third group that that said that sukha and dukkha have no cause. Sukha and dukkha are just kind of floating there, hanging there. Nothing causes them. They just kind of come and go without any rhyme or reason. These are th three basic understandings about the, the cause of dukkha. And all of them are outside the Buddhist teaching. The Buddha when he arose in the world, said that it doesn't work like that. That's, that's not, that those three beliefs don't really fit with the facts. He said, whether there is dukkha or sukha depends <clears throat> completely on a direct cause. And that direct immediate cause 
of dukkha and sukha is whether or not one is correct with in accordance with the law of Paticca Samupada. If the way we are living at this moment is proper and in harmony in accordance with the law of Paticca Samupada, there's no dukkha. But if our way of living, our way of being at this moment is opposed to, is in conflict with the law of Paticca Samupada, then there will be dukkha. The Buddha said there aren't these, these distant causes ex- outside of ourselves. The, the cause of dukkha is, you, is right here. It's right there in a close association with the phenomena, the result of dukkha. So regarding dukkha samudaya, there are, there are those who say that dukkha originates because of old karma. Karma just means action. So old karma means actions in previous lives. But Buddhism says, no, that's not how it is. There are others who say that dukkha originates through the power of God. God creates dukkha for us. And Buddhism, Buddhism says, no, that's, that's not in line with the facts. And there are some that say, there's no origin of dukkha. Dukkha has no cause or origin. It just happens. And they don't say how. Buddhism also says that that's not correct. None of these three ideas are are how it actually happens. Buddhism, instead of taking these ex, instead of speculating philosophically about how it might be, just tries to examine and find out what is actually going on. What is the direct and immediate cause or origin of dukkha. What is the what are the things right here that are immediately related to dukkha where we can see them together happening right here. What is the what is the cause that we can we see existing right here? Existing in relationship in in immediate association with dukkha. And as we've talked about previously, we can say that the, the origin of dukkha happens through the gilesa, the defilements, or we can, it happens through craving, tanha, and through avicca, ignorance as has been explained when we discussed Paticca Samupada earlier. Now there's something very strange about Dukkha Samutaya. In Thailand, as well as Burma and Sri Lanka, there are a number of Buddhists who, who believe very strongly 
have a very deep ingrained belief that dukkha arises because of old karma. And so when dukkha happens to them, which is how they see it, they just sit and cry and, and moan and, and wail about the old karma and don't see anything to do about it. It's quite, quite strange that there are so many Buddhists who are holding a belief which is directly opposed to what the Buddha actually taught. But in, in Thailand, Burma and Sri Lanka, we can find this kind of belief all over the place. People don't seem to pay attention, at least to this teaching of the Buddha, that dukkha has a direct cause right here. The origin of dukkha is in, is in ignorance, craving, and defilement right here. The Buddha never said anything about old karma in past lives as being the origin of dukkha. So there is this quite strange situation where these, these Buddhists are, are holding a belief which isn't even Buddhist. So although they may say they are Buddhists, please don't mistake this belief to be a Buddhist belief. You must, you must, if we must realize that there are many Buddhists holding ideas which are not really Buddhism. If we don't understand this point, we'll be very confused by all the conflicting beliefs which people are holding. The Buddha taught simply that dukkha has a direct immediate cause which we can verify right here. It, we don't have to believe anything about anything outside ourselves like past lives and all that. So please be, be careful to, to realize that there's a lot of things going under the name Buddhism which are not really Buddhism. They're not the Buddhist teaching. They're not in line with the facts. Now, in spite of what we've said, we should be very clear that the belief that dukkha arises from old karma, we should understand that this belief has great value and importance in terms of morality. By morality, we mean living lives in a good, wholesome, peaceful way. this belief in old karma. Many people, when dukkha happens, because they attribute it to previous actions, whether earlier in this life or in a past life, this belief will have great value in explaining to these people the necessity to stop doing foolish, evil things and do good. So there's great value in, on the morality level in this belief. However, it is 
It is beneficial in terms of morality, but it is not it is not necessarily beneficial in terms of absolute truth, truth or paramata sajja. Or for the when a Christian suffers pain or dukkha and then attributes it to God and then prays to God to take the pain away. There's no need to try and prove whether this is correct or incorrect understanding. But we can observe quite quite easily that this belief that that God is the creator of dukkha and can take it away, this leads to morality, to people leading good, decent, peaceful lives if they actually act upon the belief. And so these this, these kinds of belief are of great value. However, they are not absolute truth. They're a kind of relevant, relative truth. They're a relative truth that are, brings relative benefits, the benefits of morality. Now, many people are unable to understand absolute truth. And so we must maintain these teachings of relative truth for the sake of those who cannot understand absolute truth. However, we should never confuse the fact that these relative teachings are our relative truth and not absolute truth or paramata satcha. Now, when we speak of the Aryasajja, we're talking exclusively about ultimate truth, absolute truth, paramata satcha. In terms of the noble truths, it's, it's no longer relative. And so when we talk about dukkha samudaya, we're speaking now in absolute terms terms of what's directly observable, what's direct fact. It has nothing to do with speculation or philosophy. When we speak about the origin of dukkha in this way, we can give a variety of responses. We've already heard some of them. In the in the explanation of the Four Noble Truths, the origin of Dukkha is specifically given as being Tanha, craving. When the Buddha first taught, and in all subsequent places when the Buddha or anyone else taught the Four Noble Truths, the second noble truth was always given as being craving. The origin of dukkha is craving. And this is, of course, absolutely true. But as we understand from <coughs> studying Paticca Samupada, the dependent origination of dukkha has as its cause avicca, ignorance, 
not knowing things as they truly are. So this cause of dukkha is ignorance. But as we've mentioned in the last couple days, in short, upadana in the five aggregates is dukkha. This means when we speak in the most direct and immediate terms, the most direct cause of dukkha is upadana, attachment, that grasping and clinging at things with as I in mind. And so we and further we can also say that dukkha arises because of the concocting of sankhara, because of the cooking up of the mind by sankhara, there arises dukkha. When the Buddha has said that sankhara is the supreme dukkha. And so, in talking about dukkha samudaya, we can mention these four we can give four responses. But in fact, it's all the same thing. All these four responses differ in literal meaning, but are talking about the same fact. The origin of dukkha happens through all of these things, all of them together. It just depends on exactly which angle we look at things or if we take the most immediate cause or causes which are a little further, a little bit preceding. So we can say the cause of dukkha is ignorance. The cause of dukkha is the concocting of sankhara. We can say the cause of dukkha is craving or the cause of dukkha is attachment. The most immediate is attachment, and a little further, a little before that is craving. And the, the most original, originating cause of dukkha is, is ignorance. We're talking about one thing. It's all the same process. So please don't think there's any contradiction or conflict between these various responses. In talking about the Four Noble Truths, the Buddha himself said specifically that Danha is the origin of Dukkha. The direct cause of Dukkha is Danha, or craving, <coughs> thirst. But then if we ask, well, where does craving come from? We answer ignorance. Craving comes from ignorance, from not knowing things according to truth. And so why not, then we can just say that dukkha comes from ignorance. Or we say, well, in what way does craving or in what way does dukkha result from craving? And we must say that through craving there is upadana, and then there is dukkha. 
crave, there must be upadana coming out of that craving in order for there to be dukkha. If there's no ignorance, there's no dukkha. If there's no upadana, there's no dukkha. And then all this activity of ignorance, of craving, of upadana, all this activity is called sankhara, this complete concocting, this busy concocting is called sankhara. And so it's just as correct to say that dukkha comes from sankhara. Dukkha arises out of sankhara. So we can use these different responses, but there's no contradiction. It's all talking about the same, the same thing. In fact, there are more there are more than just these four words. There are quite a few other things that are involved that we could say are the, the origin of dukkha, the cause of dukkha. But these four words are enough because all the other things are directly related, are implied, are included within these, these four. If we'd like, in fact, to just gather it all together into one word. It all comes down to that dukkha originates from danha. The origin of dukkha is danha. If we want to just bring it down to one word, we use the word danha, craving. And craving simply means desire through the power of ignorance. When there is desire because of, through, with ignorance, this is danha. Most, or put it more bluntly, stupid desire, foolish want. This, this is the origin of dukkha. There are many other words we could use, but in the end it all comes down to just this, this one thing. This word danha, or foolish want, is quite broad. If we use it in terms of God, we can say that there is the danha that God will help us. And then even if God doesn't help us, we still want God to help us. There is still this danha that God will help us. So we can use this word danha, or craving, even in this way. And the reason we want God to help us is because we've got this craving over here someplace. There's something we, we desire and crave. And so we also desire that God will help us to get that thing that we crave. And so this desire that God will help us is, is coming from craving from this danha that we have. If there isn't any, any belief, any sense, any grasping at I and mine, then there's no, there's no danha, there's no craving. There is still craving arising because we're still clinging and grasping at things as I and mine, because there is still upadana 
there is still a rising dhanha. And because there's all this upadana in dhanha, we stay ignorant. And there is still avicca, incorrect, incorrect knowing. So next we'll look at the characteristics of dhanha according to the way the Buddha described them. In the Bali, the Pali, when the Buddha was describing the Noble Truths, he described Danha in the, the following way. The first is Bonopa Vika, means leading to a new existence. Existence here doesn't mean something physical. We're not talking about the existence of benches or even of physical bodies. We're not saying, talking about the existence of after this body dies that another body will exist. We're talking about the existence that arises from craving. Every time there is craving, there is a new existence. In this if there's craving in this minute, then there is a certain existence. And then later, in another minute, another hour, if there is craving, there is a, another existence. <clears throat> We're talking about the existence, or bhava, that arises every time there is craving. We're not talking about a physical existence. So, in some minutes, we want to be millionaires with piles of money. If there's the craving, the danha to be a millionaire, then there is, in that minute, there is existence as a millionaire. Or, in other minutes, there may be the craving to be a politician with lots of power. And then in that minute, there is existence as a politician. Or sometimes we crave to be businessmen, and then there is existence as a businessman. Or we crave to be monks and nuns, and then there is existence as a monk or a nun. And so this is why Danha is described as Bono Hawika meaning that it's, it's every time there is craving, there leads to some existence immediately. Immediately upon craving, there is an existence in some form or another. Sometimes a woman has wants and desires like a woman, but sometimes a woman has wants and desires like a man and so exists as a man. It can get go to this point where sometimes a woman exists as a man and sometimes as a woman. And so this is why Danha is talked about as Pono-Bhavika, leading to new bhava. Bhavika, leading to new bhava or new existence. One can go through all kinds of different existences in a single day through 
through the power of craving. Even throughout a single hour, there can be a tremendous crowd of existences. And then in an entire life, it's just full of all kinds of different existences. So, nanti sahakada means being associated with <coughs> or tied up with nanti rakha rakha means lust or passion nanti means pleasure or satisfaction and so what this means is a lustful satisfaction or a, a passion for pleasure, a passion for satisfaction. Danha is associated with, composed of, bound up with, this having a passionate interest in, a, a longing for, a lust for, for satisfaction, for liking, for pleasure. This word raka or lust in Pali means for the mind to get so thoroughly caught up in something, so thoroughly imbued with it, that it's as if the mind is dyed by that thing. The word raka can also be used for a dye, to dye a cloth with some color. When the mind is so tied up with something, so caught up in it, that it becomes dyed, D-Y-E-D, or imbued with that thing. This is the meaning of raka. And nanti is a sense of pleasant, pleased satisfaction, a sense of satisfaction, of liking. And so nanti raka is when the mind has imbued itself, dyed itself with with pleasure and satisfaction. And so now our mind, our heart, has been dyed, D-Y-E-D, not D-I, dyed by whatever it is that satisfies us, pleases us, by whatever it is we, we like. This is our problem. The third characteristic of Danhai is Tatra Tatra Tinantini, which means wandering around liking this, liking that, liking this, liking that, means just wandering all over the place, liking things, getting infatuated things without any limit. Being basically being pulled all over the places, all over the place by our likes and preferences. Tatra has the meaning of this and that, or this or that, this thing or that thing. And so, Danha has this characteristic of being led of all over, wandering all over, out of pleasure and satisfaction and liking for, for this and that and this thing and that thing, over here, over there, endlessly, without any limit, wandering all over the place. All phenomena can be the object of, of craving. Even negative 
things, negative and both negative and positive phenomena can be taken as the object of dhanha. This is is what is meant in datra. This thing or that thing, meaning even completely opposed things, meaning positive and negative. So the word datra, datra, apinandini means to be completely infatuated with, completely engrossed with this and that and this and that and this and that and this and that endlessly. So let's let's take an, a look at this. The first one is of is Danha creates a new new existences. And then second, Danha dies the mind with with satisfaction in in whatever it is that satisfies the mind. And then the third being falling into liking and, and disliking of all kinds of things, of this and of that. Now we've <clears throat> what we've just mentioned are three characteristics of Danha, but they're not different kinds of Danha. However, Danha itself, which has these three characteristics, can take three different forms. The first is Gamma Danha, which is craving for sensuality for sensual pleasures, to get, basically craving to get. Then the second is bhava danha, craving to be, craving to exist or to become. And then the third is vipava danha, vipava danha, craving to not exist craving to not be. So there are the three kinds or forms that Danha takes. Wanting to get, wanting to be, or wanting to not be. So it's quite easy to remember. Wanting to get, wanting to be, wanting to not be. Wanting to get, wanting to be, wanting to not be. These are the three forms of Danha. And what's, what's really interesting is this, this third one, wanting to not be. In the Pali, this is called, this is another kind of bhava, another existence. Wanting to not be is another kind of being. Is, if, if you get lost in logic, you may not figure it out, but when we want to not be, say, I want to not live, I want to be dead, that's an existence. Wanting to not be is to exist in a certain way. All three kinds of these danha have, are leading to a new existence in, in various ways. We challenge you to, to 
find a kind of danha outside of these three, of all the, all the cravings and desires that you have, we, we, we challenge you to find one that is different than these three. We, we don't think you'll be at all successful, but we challenge you nonetheless. Even somebody who wants to kill themselves, this is a kind of craving. In fact, it's a very, very powerful craving, the craving to be dead, wanting to be a dead person is a tremendously strong kind of craving. All kinds of craving, whether in a positive way or a negative way, with a positive or a negative object, all of these still just come down to craving. Even if it's the craving to get rid of something, the craving to not be something. Good people have danha, lunatics have danha, the animals have craving, even the trees and plants have a kind of craving, but it's, it's so subtle and refined that we don't even see it. Even the angels and celestial beings, if there are such things, have danha, and the the gods who are more powerful than the angels, they've got an even better or higher form, more reformed, refined kind of danha. But all life is being sustained or is being nurtured on danha, on craving. All kinds, all these existences should say all these existences, all these different ways of being are nurtured by craving. If the craving is, is very confused and overpowering, then that person goes crazy. So the existence, the states of being, come from danha in this way. And then there is satisfaction. There is a pleasure in, in existing in that way, in that state of being. The first form of danha, gamma danha, is related to, to, the, to sensual or basically sexual needs. Gamma means basically sexuality. And so sexual desires are the, the core ingredient of this first kind of danha. Everybody, all, all people, all ordinary people have got sexual desires. And they express themselves directly and indirectly in all kinds of ways. This is the, the first kind of, of danha, the most kind of basic danha we find in our lives. And then we have desires for all kinds of attractive, pleasing things, things that are attractive to the eyes, the ears, the nose, tongue, body, and mind. 
all of this, all this desire for these attractive, delicious things is called kama tanha, sensual, sexual desire. And we're full, filled, we're full of all kinds of ideas about what to be. So I want to be this, I want to be that, I want to be all these many things. This wanting to be something, this is bhava danha, craving for existence, craving to exist in some, some way, some various, well many different ways depending on the circumstances. And so just, just the thought of, of I am, I exist, this is the result of wanting to exist, of craving for existence. And then once one sees that being like this, being like that, existing in this or that way, that it's it's all full of problems, hassles, troubles, and difficulties. That all that existing and being is just a bunch of struggle. Then one, oh, I don't want any of that. I don't want to be like this. I don't want to be like that. I don't want to exist. I don't want to... And then there is all this craving to not be, craving for non-existence. Like ten, ten years or so ago, there was the the one pseudo-Christian sect led by Jim Jones and then they, they all drank they all drank poison in order to kill themselves. This is some some kind of form of vibhava danha craving for non existence. This is just another kind of deception of losing losing one's way. And you see it in many people, they, they get a little frustrated or disappointed and then they say, oh, I want to die, I want to die, I, I'm sick of this, I don't want to put up with this anymore. This is happening all the time, we meet with a little disappointment or dis difficulty or frustration, we get depressed and then we don't want to exist, we want to die. In some people, this, this craving for non-existence can be so strong that they actually go and kill themselves. When, when our mindfulness and wisdom faculty loses its way, then dhanha arises. When our sense, our understanding of what is correct and incorrect, of what is our proper duty and what isn't, when this loses its way, wanders off the, the path, then dhanha arises. Whenever wisdom cannot discern, is unable to see what is correct, then there will be dhanha coming up. So dhanha is when life has gotten off track, it's, it's heading in the wrong direction. And this, this helps us see how, how dhanha comes from ignorance. When there's ignorance, when there's incorrect understanding, then life gets off track. The wisdom faculty gets derailed. 
and then dhanha arises. All craving, all forms of craving arise from ignorance, from a lack of proper understanding, from not knowing things according to truth. And so then we, we lose the way and dhanha occurs. Every arising of dukkha is is all or every arising of dhanha is always dukkha every occurrence of dhanha is always dukkha no matter how dukkha arise or how dhanha arises where when under what circumstances every instance every occurrence of dhanha is always dukkha if the want or the desire doesn't come from ignorance then we don't call it dhanha if the want and the desire is wise then we don't call it dhanha for example if you've come to suanmok with mindfulness and wisdom with correct knowledge and understanding you've come here in order to study dhamma and develop the mind in order to extinguish dukkha if we've come in this way then we don't that would not be called craving that's not dhanha but then there are some who come looking for superstitious powers and that's full of dhanha and it'll probably make them crazy too so please be careful to discriminate well between wanting with ignorance and wanting without ignorance if our desire comes from a misunderstanding of truth then it's called dhanha because it comes from avicca but if the desire the want is coming from a correct understanding of the way things are if it's coming from wisdom then we don't call it craving so then there's the the saying don't live through dhanha don't live by craving you ought to live with mindfulness and wisdom <clears throat> you ought to live according to mindfulness and wisdom we shouldn't have lives that are run by led by dhanha because it'll keep dragging us into dukkha but instead we should live we should go through life living under the direction of mindfulness and wisdom and in pali there's a word a, a neutral word that also means or desire this word is sankapa it it's a, it just means want or desire and it's a neutral kind of want or desire but then usually there is added either the word micha wrong or sama correct proper right and so then there can be right desire wise desire as well as wrong desire or foolish desire 
So there's a kind of want and desire which is correct and proper and another kind of want or desire which is foolish, dangerous and, and wrong. So we should be very careful about these kind of words because tremendous confusion is brought about because we don't distinguish carefully. For example, danha always means ignorant. It's always blind and stupid. Blind want, stupid want, ignorant want, or whatever. So we need to find an English word that includes within it this sense of ignorance, blindness, stupidity. The word sankapa, however, has no, no sense of being stupid or incorrect. It's completely neutral. So for, we have to find one word for danha which clearly implies stupidity and incorrectness. And for sankapa we must find another word that has no connotation of, of this being incorrect or foolish. And so sometimes for sankapa the word used is aim. But you can please think about this for yourself in English as well as other languages. Don't use the cheap and easy definitions but, or translations, but find the word that has the proper, help us to find the words that have the proper connotations. A word that's relevant here is the word hope. This seems to be a word that the Westerners are quite attached to. But in Thailand it just doesn't, it never has had very much importance or meaning. But it seems that Westerners often like to live by their hopes and their wishes. And they've even come to Thailand to teach Thai children to, to have a life that's based on hope. So the, the question is all this hope, is it wise hope or stupid hope? Are they hopes which are under the, the power of ignorance or hopes and wishes which are under the power of wisdom? We ought to be very, very careful about this word hope because it could be a kind of hope which is just another form of danha. But then again, hope might be, or at least sometimes, might have nothing to do with, with danha. So in summary, danha is to desire to want in, under the power of ignorance, desiring through the power of, of ignorance. This is what dan, this is the meaning of danha. And this is the dukkha samudaya, the origin of dukkha. This is the source and cause of dukkha. This danha or craving through the power of ignorance and foolishness. This is the, the second noble truth, the 
จุกะสมุทัยอริยสัจจะ The noble truth of the origin of dukkha, and so the the subject of the origin of dukkha has come to a close at the same time that we've run out of at the same moment that we've run out of time. So we finished both of them together, and we'll end today's meeting at this auspicious moment. So please help us figure out if which of the following words are completely neutral: desire, want, aim, aspiration, or any other words. Do we have any of these which are completely neutral, that don't have to be stupid? Like, for example, desire. Does it tend to be on the the wrong side or not? Please help us. Figure it out for yourself first, and then help the world to understand. Thank you. <laughs>